the partner needs to understand they don't need to be giving the baby equal care. They need to be organizing the care of the person who gave birth. There's this idea that each person should be as attuned to the baby as the other. And lots of my clients are like really pissed off that they know what the baby needs before their partner needs. They want to be like sharing equally. And to me, this is just the part of life that happens when it's just not equal. It just isn't. There's nothing like one person's breastfeeding. The other person isn't. One person's pelvic floor is bleeding and leaking. The others isn't. The best way a relationship's going to come out of that is if all the resources are going towards the woman so she can take care of her baby. If we get this period of time right, our whole culture will change. The postpartum time is the thing that kind of peels the scab off the wound and shows us all the ways that our society is not in right relationship with how we treat mothers and babies. I'm Cynthia Overgaard, owner of Hypnobirthing of Connecticut, childbirth advocate, and postpartum support specialist. And I'm Trisha Ludwig, Certified Nurse Midwife and International Board Certified Lactation Consultant. And this is the Down to Birth Podcast. Childbirth is something we're made to do, but how do we have our safest and most satisfying experience in today's medical culture? Let's dispel the myths and get down to birth. My name's Kimberly Ann Johnson. Uh, I am a birth doula, a postpartum advocate, a somatic experiencing trauma resolution practitioner, body worker, sexological body worker, and I'm a single mom. Uh, I'm an author. I wrote the book, The Fourth Trimester, that's become an early mothering classic that now has a deck of cards and a journal that's coming out at the end of June. And a new book called Call of the Wild, How We Heal Trauma, Awaken Our Own Power, and Use It for Good. So in your book, The Fourth Trimester, you talk about five universal postpartum needs. We want to hear all about this. You know, the reason that I wrote this book was because I had a really hard time healing postpartum, and I prepared a lot for birth, and I thought I, would, I, I, thought I had everything ready physically, emotionally, mentally, and then I had a really hard time recovering, and, and at that time... If anyone would have said, like, do you have a postpartum plan? I would have just looked at them confused because I didn't even know there was such thing as a postpartum plan. I had no idea that that was something special or a special period of time. And in my healing process, I kind of understood that I wasn't having a personal problem. I was having kind of an archetypal problem. I felt like there was this black hole in my awareness about, like, why hadn't my aunts or my mom ever talked to me about this? Why hadn't I ever heard that this was a special time? So I went and studied some other cultures. I went to Thailand. I went to Malaysia to see like cultures who have intact mother care. What does that actually look like? And I found out that all of the earth-based indigenous traditions around the world, they share five things in common that I just kind of called the five universal needs. The first one is an extended rest period. So in most cultures, it's somewhere between 40 days and 90 days where a woman is mostly inside and mostly being taken care of. So sort of um, a nesting period where a mother's nervous system is just as fragile as a baby's nervous system, and there's a sense of protection. The second one is food. So all around the world, every culture has special foods they feed women after they give birth. The third one is loving touch. Here in the U.S., people think that getting a massage or an acupuncture treatment is a really big luxury postpartum. And it kind of is because you really have to go out of your way to set that up. 
But when I was in Thailand, there was a center where women would go every day for 40 days to get body work, to help their bodies metabolize all of the hormonal transitions, to help the organs go back to the places where they were optimally positioned and so that they would have enough breast milk. The fourth one is the presence of wise women. So you would never be alone postpartum. You would always have aunts, mothers, friends, sisters-in-laws around you. Um, And then finally, contact with nature. There were different herbs, whether that was vaginal steaming or actually herbs that you're drinking, um, ways of being in touch with the rhythms of nature that you can't rush. And so um, I just centered the book around those needs because those didn't change no matter which continent you were on or what social class you were in. They were just, they just are the things that everyone who gives birth needs. And to make it simple, I'd like to say that everything that a new baby needs, a new mother needs. So a new baby needs to be swaddled. A new mom needs to be swaddled. A new baby needs a constant food source. A new mom also needs a constant food source. You would never leave a new baby alone for hours and hours on end. A new mom shouldn't be alone for hours and hours on end. So what you're describing sounds like something that is seriously lacking in, at least in the United States, in our culture and in other industrialized countries as well. So how do women set their set themselves up to have these universal needs met postpartum? What can they do? Tell us more about it. A lot of ways that we can move in the direction of getting what we need. So there's no way to do this perfectly, especially because you know, we don't have social system in place that, you know, in Canada, women get at least six months off after they have a baby. In New Zealand, you get a year off. In Sweden, you both parents get a year so they could have two years total. The average for women in the US is 12 days and they go back to work after 12 days. Of course, we want to be able to prioritize maternal leave on and family leave on a political level, which is shifting. Um, 2016 was the first election where people even talked about maternal leave. This was the first election where people even talked about childcare. So we are making progress. But really, on this podcast, we're speaking to what we could do a little bit more than maybe what we're already doing. So there's a lot of freelancers, for instance. And if you're a freelancer, like I was, then you are in charge of your own time, which is kind of complicated because if you don't work, you don't get paid sometimes. But we need to front load that with, okay, we know we're going to need more time than we think we need. And how are we going to ensure that we get not maybe all of these needs met, but some of them met? Uh, I had a friend write me. She she had a really complicated situation in the pandemic where she had a baby. Her three-year-old went to preschool for the first time, got COVID, came home. Then her husband got COVID. So now she's got a newborn and a three-year-old and a husband with COVID. And she wrote me a note and was like, you know, SOS, um, can you make me this dish? And instead of just saying, can you cook for me? She just sent me the recipe of what she wanted. And I was like, and she's like, can you or anyone, you know, make me this dish. And so that was really helpful to just have the specific of like, yeah, I can totally do this. And then I would just keep making it for her because she told me this is my comfort food postpartum. And so it was really easy for me to do and very satisfying to be able to help someone. Uh, so Being specific, I personally, if I was going to have a baby again, I would have a friend train. So I would be scheduling friends to come stay with me um, for three or four day increments. New parents tend to think that they want to have it like a lot of them say like, well, we want to like really bond each other and 
we don't want too much interference. And, you know, we live in this like nuclear family system. So there's so much um, ego involved in like being independent. We want to do it ourselves. But as you know, being childbirth educators, it's like when you hear that, you're kind of like, oh, no, because really you need other hands. You need other adults around. Like you need somebody else who can take the boiling water off the stove while you're nursing. Um, you, you need that support. So personally, I would have a meal train and a friend train. Yeah, it's an interesting point because in a lot of ways, we're talking about eliminating visitors for moms so that mom and baby and their partner are resting enough because uh, they obviously need this rest is so critical, but it's really about getting the right people in there, the people who can be there to help you. I guess like your sister wife, like the people who know what this means and I'll just do the thing and not have to talk to you about it. Or if you want to talk, you have someone who can really hold space for you and listen to you. Yeah. I mean, it's not like people to come over and bring you flowers and hold your baby and, you know, someone who can tell, protect you and sees when you're tired and sees like, okay, she's going to go back in the room and they're going to stay with the guest who drops by instead of you. Right. So you have, you have layers of protection around you. I think it's interesting that you're saying to ask friends to come. And I really appreciate that because we don't see a lot of that. And, you know, when you just told the story about your friend sending you a recipe, you lit up when you talked about it. You were so happy to, to do it for her. And I realized, oh, gosh, I wish a friend would ask me to do that. I'd love to be that friend who makes someone that happy. And then I thought, could I be the friend who asks? It's so much harder to ask. And when you realize that the person you're asking is so happy that you asked, you just have to realize you're truly giving them an opportunity to give. And as far as having people come be with you, most people only think as far as their family and they get into a little bit of panic mode with that because we have such close or absent boundaries with our close family members that it can get very complicated. And just today, a client reached out and on this topic because Trisha and I are, we, we teach a fourth trimester workshop and a client asked me about it and said, I'm panicking about how to say no to my mother when she's here. We can't avoid the fact that, that we're going to have boundary things with everyone. Um, of course, it's harder, but I, in my personal experience, my boundary that I thought I would need with my mom was actually totally wrong. And I think that how every person's relationship is different, but for sure, our lineage stuff is going to come up when we have children. Uh, our mothers were not well taken care of. Um, and so it's hard for them sometimes. I think they're they're going through stuff that they don't even know they're going through and seeing a totally different way of doing things. And a lot of times they feel like probably a little bit of jealousy, a little bit of confusion, and then also a little bit of incompetence of like, well, I want to help, but then I, if I don't do it the right way, like I know that they want to do it a different way than I want to do it. And I just feel like we have a whole lot of maturing to do as a culture in this U.S. culture uh, we think it's just fine to dislike our parents, to micro dissect our parents, to um, we have so much privilege or so much permission here to reject our parents. I lived in Brazil for eight years and it's just completely different. Like people just accept their parents as people more. And it's not that they don't have challenges or issues. It's just, I find that here, it's like, we sometimes push away people that can be our real allies because we avoid certain kinds of conversations that a lot of times it's really hard to have, right? It's just like having conversations about sex postpartum. All of the conversations that were 
um, that we may not have had before are up to the surface to renegotiate. And then we feel so vulnerable and we feel so exposed. It's such a hard time to make a new way. But at the same time, it's such a beautiful time to make a new way because there is all of this um, newness at the surface. I think the hard part there is that the for the for the mother who just gave birth, she has to learn to speak and she has to learn to convey what she needs because sometimes all she wants is to sit and hold her baby while other people are doing things. And sometimes she wants to be up and using her hands and doing things while someone else holds the baby. And there's no way for that person to know what it is you'll want unless you're really willing to ask. Yeah. I mean, we just have to get comfortable doing Hopefully it. we can practice when we're pregnant. So these things like you were saying, I could be the giver, but could I be the receiver? And could I be an active receiver? I always tell people when they're pregnant, like practice asking for something that you don't really need that badly, right? Because once we're in the desperation point, we feel we have no choice. And then it's like, you know, wave the flag kind of thing. But before you're actually desperate, could you ask for something? And we have to learn. It's the same thing with rest. I mean, we all know on some level it's good to rest, but it's like, do we know how to rest? Can we rest? We know it's good to receive, but it's no wonder because we're going through life and we're so incentivized to achieve and to do more and to be as good as our male counterparts. And then we come to this time that's like such a stark contrast of what our physiology is asking of us and what we've maybe practiced up to this point. So hopefully we practice a little, but if we haven't, then it's a time of practice. And that's why it's considered an underworld journey because we are getting remade. But instead of that being a punishment or something that's considered, you know, bad, it's like, no, this is actually part of our evolution. It's part of our healing process. It's part of our maturation. In this culture in particular, the concept of, of the fourth trimester is fairly new. A lot of people don't even consider it a trimester. And so how do we just like step back and like, how do we even get women to first understand why they need to take care of themselves in the first trimester? That's the million dollar question. Um, I hope that by the next generation, it'll be obvious because we're trying to repair lots of generations of fabric unraveling. So hopefully we're like slowly knitting it back. Most people who read my book or who are really involved in the fourth trimester are people who had a hard time the first time and they don't want it to go the same way the second time. So they're doing what they can so that they have a much better experience. Because here's the thing, the postpartum time can be amazing. It can be like delicious and like incredible. Even if you don't have all these things, if you have some of these things, um, it can be a time of, of, a, of really deep rest and really deep bonding and like super oxytocin filled healing. I mean, in Chinese medicine, it's considered a time of healing so that you could, in that period of time, any illness that sets in could be much harder to heal from, but also you can input things into the system then. So like you could heal chronic migraines by addressing them during this time because the system is so open. So that works both ways and it can be really beautiful when we do observe some of these things. And it's not just about what you can pay for or what you have. It's actually an orientation, right? It's just so hard for us to believe that doing less could be good for us. We just somehow push against that. 
But if for six weeks you could stay mostly out of gravity, you could drink and eat mostly warm things, you could stay close to your baby, and you could mostly have other people helping you, that six weeks is going to like a lifetime of health is coming to you. But for some reason, we just all think we're the exception. Like, well, other people need that, but like, I'm strong. I don't need that. And like, I don't know why everyone's making such a big deal out of this. And we, we talk ourselves out of that. But the truth is people try to reframe it and they, they don't want to say that you're weak postpartum because weak is so negative. But the fact is we are weak postpartum. We are. Um, our ligamental structures, 16 suspensory ligaments above the uterus, they're stretched out like taffy. Um, you put gravity in there, you might not have a prolapse after birth, but you might end up with one if you're straining and doing other things. Um, you know, there's so many ways that our body, our biointelligence is working for us if we will just allow ourselves to slow down. And also to let our partners know that this isn't a, they're often very scared about seeing us so vulnerable and weak. And it's like, this isn't a forever thing. In fact, if this time is like supercharged with everything you need, you're much likely to heal sooner and be quote unquote, you know, back to normal or whatever you want to say, you have more vitality available to you much faster. And people say, well, it's expensive. Well, what's expensive is not doing it because then it's years and years of trying to do what you didn't do then. And if people are listening and they had a bad postpartum time or they didn't know any of this, me too. Like, that's why I wrote the book. I didn't have any of these things. I didn't know anything. There's always room for repair. You can repair. It's just that you have this power packed time when you can actually like really emerge from that with more strength and more confidence. Yeah. I have a hard time getting women to stay in bed for even two weeks after they have a baby. I mean, usually three or four days and they're up and out and moving. I talked to a mom just the other day who was telling me about her hour walks. She goes on every morning, four days postpartum. Yeah. It's with, with it's the baby. Because I was like, great. That's great. Great for the baby. <laughs> with what intention, Trisha? Do you have any idea why she's doing that so soon? Is it just, is it because she's so eager to no, she will exercise again and get back in shape because we. Hard. I didn't ask. I just was sort of astounded. And I think it's hard for people to let go of it. You know, they probably, yeah. she probably exercised through her whole pregnancy. She's just somebody who works out every day. And yeah. the idea of even two weeks of none of that is, feels just, yeah. you know, they couldn't possibly do she it. She might be afraid she'll lose herself somehow in that. What I don't think we understand is that birth, giving birth, you're in an altered state. So whether it's a surgical birth or, whatever kind of configuration of the birth, you're in an altered state. Now, if you were in a ceremony doing a psychedelic, hopefully you would have people that know what they're doing and taking care of you. And therefore they would be providing the guardrails. Well, that's what other people are supposed to be. So that's why you would have a mother or grandmother around going, get back in bed, honey. Not right now. Somebody else would be telling you because you are still in an altered state. You don't actually, it's like if you've ever been under general anesthesia, you think you're normal right away. But then a week later, you like, you're like, I was not normal at all back then. Like I was not normal. You're not totally inhabited in yourself at that point. You're not supposed to be. You've just been completely rearranged physically, emotionally, mentally, psychologically, spiritually. For all of those layers to come back together, you need a diminished physical space for containment, because you need external containment so that you can welcome all of the parts of yourself back home and 
in a physical way as well. I can't believe that I have birth doula clients that I spend the entire pregnancy with and then I spend the birth with and then afterwards my clients are doing the same thing and I wrote the freaking book. I'm just like, I'm calling and I or come by. They're not there. Where are they? They're out with the stroller. I'm like, out with the stroller? You're still on Vicodin or whatever. Like, because like you, you had a surgical delivery. Like, what are you doing? Um, but it's because there's not that external layer because in a culture that knows this, it would be unthinkable. But instead, these moms probably get, they probably get applauded by other moms being like, oh my God, look at you. Good for you. You're out walking 10 days postpartum. You're getting right back in shape. That's so great. Yeah, for sure. There's so much reward. I mean, you know, I was a yoga teacher, so lots of people would do handstands up until the day before they give birth. And then they're like showing how they're teaching 10 days after they gave birth. And then people are saying like, oh, what a great testament to yoga. And I'm just like, oh my gosh, like this is just crazy. It just, this absence of ability to stay with yin energy and to like actually allow yourself to go inward. It's just so um, foreign to us. So I think for it to become the norm, probably with our daughters, you know, we would be teaching them with their menstrual cycle that there's a time of their cycle that you slow down. And if they got used to riding those waves of activities and rest, then it wouldn't be such a big shock to the system, you know, because as we all know, like if you, if your lifestyle requires you to work, which most people's does, they have two parent families and they have to work. Or in my case, I'm a single parent. I have a lot of clients. They work right up to the day that they give birth. So they're, they're fully in that mode of product productivity. Why? Because they're saving up their time afterwards. I totally get it. That makes complete sense. But from a nervous system perspective, our nervous systems don't radically reorient that fast. And so then to reorient to just a complete downshift is something that our nervous system doesn't totally adapt to. And then we find ourselves doing those habitual things. You know, it's hard because going for a walk, you think, well, that's kind of an innocuous thing. It's a walk. Two years postpartum, everything I thought was good for me wasn't helping me at all. So I was like, well, I, now I'm completely lost because if walking is not good for me, um, I don't really know how to take care of myself in this other kind of a way so that I can really get a deeper level of restoration of my vitality. If you're suffering from insomnia or pregnancy pains like restless legs, leg cramps, or have lower back pain, then you have to try 8 Sheep Organic Sleepy Lotion. It's helped over 73,000 pregnant moms get a good night's sleep. We're not even pregnant and we love the Sleepy Lotion. Visit 8sheep.com, that's the number 8sheep.com, and you can try the lotion risk-free with a 60-day money-back guarantee. Use promo code DOWNTOBIRTH to get free shipping. Every expecting parent deserves access to a certified doula, no matter their budget, birth plan, or location. This is the idea behind the digital doula program, Beautiful Births and Beyond. Their on-demand doula program includes access to online classes and 24-7 birthing and postpartum support via text or video. Book a free consultation with Beautiful Burst founder Colleen Myatt and receive 20% off an hour of digital doula support. Visit beautifulbirthsandbeyond.com and use promo code down to birth. So let's talk about some tips that we could give couples, let's say in their third trimester, things to think about in ways that they can prepare before having the baby. Because I really related to what you said, we don't want to wait until we're in crisis mode. Too often when women aren't really expressing themselves sometimes to their partners, 
when they want more from them, they want to be seen more, they want to be supported more, they want to be heard more, they often wait until they snap, till they're enraged, till they're in crisis mode. So let's say that a couple is saying, all right, we're ready. Give it to us. How do we make this easier on ourselves? Well, it's really good to have a way that you are going to check in with each other. Um, So I give like a script in the book, but it just goes something like, how are you doing? How are you doing? How are you doing as a mother? How are you doing as a father? How are you doing as a partner? How are you doing as a partner? So um, the Gottman Institute showed that the first year postpartum was usually the time that couples either split up or if they did split up later, they could trace it back to that year. And so they studied the people who survived that first year, which were 66% of the couples. And what did they have in common? And they also showed that while women thought that most men wanted sex in that first year, what most men wanted was recognition. They wanted to know that they were still important and that they were still seen. So maybe the only language they had was to ask for sex because they didn't really know how to ask for something else. But what they really wanted to know was that their partner was still looking at them and still saw them and just wasn't um, focused on the baby. So I think, you know, a five minute check in each day, you know, being able to have some kind of connected time. So I think something in place like that and, and anticipating how you are under stress. So like for me, when I'm under stress, I shut down, I talk less, I'm less available, I'm way more internal. I need someone to like seek me out. I need them to ask me not once, probably a few times, um, what's going on? Is there anything I can do for you? Um, I would usually say, I don't know, because in that phase of shutdown, I have no idea what I need. So I would need to tell that person ahead of time. Well, if you notice that and you feel I'm pushing you away, just pull me closer and hug me because that's what I really want. I'm sending you that the idea that I don't want it, but actually what I need is like the physicality. So you need to know yourself a little bit to know what the sign is and to be able to check in with the other person and be like, hey, it seems like this. Is that right? And then a really big thing is that we are not equals. So anyone, I guess, at this point, people have kind of like redefined what postpartum depression can be. And now people are studying men and that's fine. But it's like women are the ones who or the person who gives birth. That's the person who went through the physiological event. That's the person who needs the care. So the partner needs to understand they don't need to be giving the baby equal care. They need to be organizing the care of the person who gave birth. There's this idea that each person should be as attuned to the baby as the other. And lots of my clients are like really pissed off that they know what the baby needs before their partner. They want to have, they want to be like sharing equally. And to me, this is just the part of life that happens when it's just not equal. It just isn't. There's nothing like one person's breastfeeding. The other person isn't one person's pelvic floor is bleeding and leaking. The others isn't like you've got nine months of gravity shifting, rotating your organs. So prioritizing that the the best way a relationship is going to come out of that is if all the resources are going towards the woman so she can take care of her baby. So in every way, this is like the feminization of everything. It's like, and that's what's so alarming because we're so not used to that. We're used to just like, um, what is everyone else thinking? Who can I take care of? Um, you know, and so when the, the lights turn back on us, it's also the family unit's not used to that. Like usually we're taking care of the other person's needs. Now we're taking care of the baby and we need someone to take care of our needs. 
and the same goes with sex. Laura Gutman, the um, brilliant Argentinian therapist said, this is the time of the feminization of sex. Female pleasure has to be at the center. And that goes for everything. It's like all of a sudden that we're like shaking this fabric of what orgasm is and who is our orgasm for and who's responsible for whose pleasure. And at this period of time, everything needs to be about the woman's health for six weeks, you know, six weeks, 12 weeks. It's not a long time, but it's just so different than how we're used to orienting ourselves. Can you give us a little bit, a few more specifics on what that looks like? So if it's not dividing up the diaper changes and the feeding, if somebody's bottle feeding, you know, divvying up, holding the baby, how is the partner taking care of her? What I see a lot is like the, the partner's passing the baby back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. Really, the person who gave birth needs to have someone supporting them. So like the image I have is like sitting behind them so that they can rest into that person so that then their system can downregulate and then they downregulate the baby. Two anxious people passing a crying baby back and forth, that's, it's just never going to work. So again, it has to be what, how can the mother's physiology be supported? So then the baby can also, they, the mother baby can actually co-regulate. Because I just hear so many people saying, well, you know, my partner doesn't want to spend money on a postpartum doula. My partner doesn't believe in a home birth. My partner, this or that. And they think that's, they think they're having an egalitarian relationship, which I totally understand. So many people are like, well, I went to the hospital because that's what my partner felt comfortable with. And if he wasn't comfortable, then I felt like I wouldn't be comfortable either. But then later there's regret because they realize, but they're the one giving birth and somehow their partner needed to go through a process to get comfortable so that they could do what their physiology, where they felt safe. So again, it's like the centering of the female experience. And that, that, you know, that's my whole second book is about that. That's what the Jaguar is about. It's like this having a healthy fight response, not so that we're aggressive, not so that we're like hyper assertive, so that we really feel through ourselves of what is it that is true to our physiology and biology that's an unwavering truth. And it's not that the partners aren't going to have their own relationship with the baby. Of course they are, but that's just the way that the biological hierarchy has to work. And unfortunately, our morals and our ideology and our feminism do not like that. But this is where the body speaks louder than all of those mental constructs that we have. So we have to, in my opinion, it's where we really do well to respect the biology. My preference is also always hire someone minimally once a week for three hours. I think almost everyone could afford that who's listening to this podcast. And that person comes to the house, makes food, makes sure that the woman uh, has a vaginal steam or whatever kind of self-care, belly binding, takes them through a breathing process, is there for listening. If you have a good postpartum time and your needs are met, you can process any birth experience. Because most, most births these days are traumatic for most people because we're so out of sync with our physiology. But the good news is, is if you have these things postpartum, you don't have to carry that through for the next few years. You can actually metabolize that in that early postpartum time, which is really why this also another reason why this time has is so specific across all these cultures. We talk about this a lot in our groups because sometimes 
I dreamed that I could sit all those husbands and partners down and say, she is going to be her powerful, independent self again one day. And you don't want this woman to wake up in 20 years and say, I am done. I gave and gave and I'm still young and I'm free and I'm getting divorced. I mean, it, it, it's such an investment in your long-term relationship to, it, it's honestly a service to the husbands and the partners themselves when they take this approach. It's a service to them personally, not For indirectly sure. to their family, but to them personally. Because she's not going to be in that state forever. And they both forget that. And if you ever want to have a sex life again, I highly recommend it. And I tell all of the partners that because that's the elephant in the room that everyone's worried about. And it's like, yeah, because if 33% of women have cesarean surgery with no physical therapy afterwards, so major abdominal surgery sent home, no PT and no support. Okay. There's no other kind of surgery other than freaking hysterectomies and other female surgeries that you get no aftercare. Okay. So you got a major surgery. So that's just, that's just one of the things now out of the rest of, you know, and I don't even know how current these statistics are. It could probably is higher after the pandemic, but let's just stick with the two years old statistics about 33% C-section delivery. Then of the rest, I mean, the, we did a fourth trimester vaginal steam study and of 12 people who gave birth non-cesarean, 11 of them had stitches. So it's a really small sample size and I don't have a bigger sample size, but most people are getting some kind of perineal repair. Okay. So then you've got stitching in erectile tissue. I don't think people understand that either. Like women's sexual anatomy, whatever's tearing your perineum has erectile tissue. Labias have erectile tissue, um, you know, tear up into the vagina, not so much erectile tissue, but obviously integral to your sexual function and, and blood flow and nerve delivery. So if you have all those things and the only thing that anyone tells you to do is use a spray bottle and spray the stitches. Um, it's the body's not going to just magically do everything on its own. It that's why all these practices exist. Why are you steaming? Because steam brings blood flow to an area. It pulls out infection and it helps the tissue repair itself. But who who's ever heard of that from your doctor or you know surgery? You need scar tissue remediation four layers of abdomen and organ, that scar tissue can proliferate if you don't have the right um, movement and heat and circulation in it. So it's, it's not an abstract thing. It's not like, oh, women are queens, treat them well. It's like, no, we're animals and we've just given birth and we're sustaining life through our, the very matter that makes us up. And we need that cocooning and we need that support. And that's what allows us to return to sex because otherwise it feels dangerous, scary, and painful, right? You haven't had any help metabolizing a trauma. And now you're wanting to use that same area for something that hasn't felt remotely pleasurable, but that can change. And it doesn't take much to change. If we get this period of time, right, our whole culture will change. We need to be able to slow down. We need to be able to connect with each other. We need to be able to rely intergenerationally on transmission and wisdom. These are all things that we've lost. And at the postpartum time is the thing that kind of peels the scab off the wound and shows us all the ways that our society is not in right relationship with how we treat mothers and babies. So taking care of this is a way that you can do that repair. 
And I think if you just understand a few of the basic things, even though it's hard because it's hard to feel weak and vulnerable, um, because it is really important that our partners understand that it's not optional. It's not like this is an extra thing. If we really understood this, just like people save up for college, they would save up for like birth and postpartum so they could have the birth and postpartum that they wanted, you know, and we would be able to easily redirect things when people want to buy us a lot of things. It's like, well, maybe care is like one of the things that we would contribute to. And, um, and then we would know, you know, it's so sweet. Cause when I teach about this, lots of people are like, God, I've been like a bad friend because when I've gone over to my friends, I did exactly what you said. I brought like a stuffed animal for the baby and sat on the couch and held the baby. And it's like, yeah, cause we just don't know. Like no one told us, no, when you go in, just like do the dishes. Don't ask if you can do them, just do them. Just, you know, just straighten up a little bit as you're talking or, you know, do the little things. Right. We haven't been taught. We haven't, it hasn't been modeled. So how would we know? But for the purpose of today's episode, many of our listeners are late in pregnancy or just getting ready to have a baby, maybe have not put the work into creating a postpartum sanctuary plan. If you could just send them away with like three things that they must do, what would they be? Well, there's no substitute for rest. So minimum, like what, how much? Well, to me, 40 days is a minimum. You know, I can bargain with everyone and be like, well, you know, okay, 15 days. Well, but like, really it's 40 days. Like that's what it is. And if you, the thing is, is I'm never talking to the people who actually just cannot do it. Like, right. There's just people, I mean, I've had clients, they have to go in. Literally. I, I had a client that was a volunteer and she had to go to McDonald's to work 14 days postpartum. So what did I do with her? When she came home, it was like, turn off all the lights, go dark right away, swaddle yourself, do all the things you can when you can. The fact of the matter is we can all scroll on our cell phone much less. We can all trade scrolling for blindfolding ourselves and letting our eyes relax and being in the dark. We can all do a little bit more. So we give ourselves all the reasons why we can't do it, but we can all do a little bit. We can rest a little bit more. We can set ourselves up. We can make one more uncomfortable ask, right? We can, we can receive a little bit more than felt kind of good. So I would say, you know, ask for the things you want. Do your best. People are like, oh, frozen food's not good postpartum. Oh, da, da, da. You need more calories postpartum than you need pregnant. A lot of people think it's the reverse and then they're trying to lose weight. So they're eating less. It's like, no, you need at least two or 300 calories more postpartum. So make sure you're getting enough to eat. And I think it's really a reframe for yourself. Remember, it's not a forever thing. How you are right now is how it's going to be for six weeks or 12 weeks, depending on the kind of birth you had, right? Because some births last a really long time and it's a longer recovery. It's like, a six hour birth versus a 70 hour birth. It's a different thing. So be so kind to yourself. And you, you both offer this support group every week, being around other moms that are around the same time as you are in your process, whether that's virtually or in person, we can't say enough about having accurate mirroring. The most important thing is to be as kind as possible to yourself because we're having to reckon with the collective situation on a personal level and we can't make up for everything. 
But if you can do a little bit more than seems possible, you have the chance to be a part of the solution and not just for yourself, but for your baby and your family to have the start that is with an intact nervous system that has a pace that's respectful to yourself, to your body, to your family. And you can be a part of that change for your community so that you know what other people need as well. If you enjoyed our podcast, please take a moment to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and share a favorite episode or two. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Down to Birth Show or contact us and review show notes at downtobirthshow.com. Please remember this information is made available to you for educational and informational purposes only. It is in no way a substitute for medical advice. For our full disclaimer, visit downtobirthshow.com slash disclaimer. Thanks for tuning in. And as always, hear everyone and listen to yourself. So go slowly, be as kind as possible to yourself. And remember that in Ayurveda, they say 42 days for 42 years. So whatever you offer yourself at this time, you're also offering yourself for the next 42 years and offering that to your relationship as well.